to Vitally You, a podcast created to introduce you to the tools that will be your roadmap for feeling younger while growing older. I'm your host, Dana Frost, a wellness expert, life coach, and energy medicine practitioner. Here's what you can expect. Conversations about vitality from the inside out with guest experts in the field of health, culture, and spirituality, and solo episodes along the way from me where I do deep dives into the topics of aging, heart intelligence, energy medicine, and your innate capacity to heal. If you want to feel younger while growing older, this is the place for you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Vitally You, Feeling Younger While Growing Older. I'm Dana, and I'm your host, and I am so delighted and honored to have someone I consider very dear. She is a nutrition colleague of mine. Her name is Deepa Keenan. She lives in India, and Deepa is an author. She is a therapeutic yoga practitioner. Phyto to Thrive is her functional medicine practice where she merges deep science of the functional world with deep symbolism of ancient wisdom. Deepa has a masterful understanding of the human anatomy with cohesive understanding of physiology to offer true bio-individual mind, body, and spirit nutrition. Her articles have been shared by Dr. Mark Hyman, who I consider to be the father of functional medicine. He's a 13-time New York Times bestselling author, and I am so excited to congratulate Deepa on her upcoming book with Harper Collins, The Sleep Whisperer. So Deepa, welcome to the podcast. I'm so honored to have you here. Thank you for joining us today to talk about how sleep impacts health and longevity. Thank you, Dana. It's an honor to be here. And of course, we always have lovely conversations. And when you mentioned a functional nutrition colleague of mine, I also felt like adding we are both yogini. So we have one more thing in common. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very exciting to be here. And it's always lovely to talk about sleep. Yes, well, I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. You're almost coming up on one year anniversary of hosting the Sleep Whisper podcast. And I can only imagine the wealth of information that you've gleaned from your many guests. But first, what I'm really curious about is what sparked your curiosity and interest in starting a podcast where you dove into sleep as the topic? Well, I think I should give away a little secret, Dana, that um, you are familiar with Guru Purohit. He's the host of the Broken Brain podcast, which is now called Guru Purohit podcast. He's Dr. Mark Hyman's business partner. So way back in 2020, when I had a call with him and spoke to him about my upcoming book, which wasn't announced then, he said to me, you should start a podcast on sleep. And that's how it started. And of course, we never spoke about that. But really, I think he was an instrument. Maybe the universe was guiding what was meant to be via Dhruv. But that's how it actually happened. And of course, I did have the interest specifically in sleep way before that, because the book was actually written by me three years ago. And then subsequently, I've rewritten it about four times, and I still feel I want to keep changing things very last minute. 
So sleep has been in my heart, in my head for about three years now. That's really interesting, Deepa. Can you tell us a little bit about your own journey with sleep as a challenge in your own health? Sure. So there were actually three very clear events in my life. The first was as a child when I had these severe skin autoimmune attacks where my entire skin would be inflamed or I was on steroid, which impacted sleep. The second was being in this bad marriage for eight years and always being on high alert, always looking for, waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for something to go wrong. So it was perpetual eight years of this bad marriage and sympathetic dominance and all three were quite impactful on sleep. I think it's only been in the last five years that I've really understood that you cannot ignore poor sleep and that you can do something about it. I really agree with you, Deepa. I went my whole life until my mid-40s and I had no sleep issues. And after about 10 years of having consistent daily stress, my sleep was impacted and my hormones were, well, we know sleep is impacted by hormones. And a lot of things started to fall apart when I stopped sleeping really well. So that's very, very true. It's one of the tipping points, I think, when we have health challenges is the quality of our sleep. Yes. So that's really interesting. So then how were you able to unwind, you know, getting out of like, what were the things you were able to do to get out of this pattern of fight and flight into the paras out of sympathetic into parasympathetic? and begin, as you say, to restore your pattern of sleep? Honestly, Dana, I don't think I even knew what was the autonomic nervous system. I had no concept that I was sympathetic dominant. Even about eight years ago, I would describe to my husband about feeling as if adrenaline was buzzing in my fingers and my toes, but I didn't really know. I didn't have a name for me. Um, but I think uh, studying the functional medicine approach is what tipped the scale for me because it was mm -hmm. only after that as I started to understand how to break this apart. And as I said to you before, we started having this conversation uh, officially that even right up to this moment, I'm still improving what can be done to help me stay in that parasympathetic state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting, Deepa, because I think that sometimes if we are in a healing profession or if we, you know, let's say we're a personal trainer or we are a yoga instructor or a meditation instructor, um, there can be shame if we have these challenges in our own lives and we are all people. So we're all having similar human experiences just because we actually have the tools doesn't mean that we don't encounter stressful situations that really challenge our own health and also the tools that we have. So I really love that you pointed that out that, hey, I was a yoga instructor and, and yet I was struggling with my sleep. Deepa, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Can you describe a good night's sleep? Absolutely. And Dana, I think there's also because in the sleep world itself, there is so much emphasis 
put on research and uh, you and I know that the person's evidence is a big part of everything. So I think there's no such thing that you need eight hours sleep, you need six hours sleep, research shows that you need nine hours. There's nothing like that because we truly are very, very unique. Each of us has different needs for sleep based on uh, our levels of stress, how our body is behaving. So I would say a good night's sleep. For me, the first thing that's really important is timing. More than how long you sleep, it's whether you're going to bed. So I would say sleep should begin somewhere around 10 p.m. And then it could be where ideally you do not have to wake up to an alarm so if you have the luxury to let your body wake up when it's naturally meant to do so and a lot of us don't do that i didn't do it for the last uh, 20 years it's only in the last one year of covid and switching to working virtually that i've actually done this for myself where uh, and you know zen buddhism just wake up when you want to don't wake up to an alarm so I think that's step two is to try to create a conducive environment where you can allow your body to wake up naturally when it feels like, and this will differ day to day. So maybe one day you're going to wake up in seven hours, maybe one day you need 10 hours and that's perfectly fine. At the end of the day, what matters is how do you feel in terms of energy and how do you feel in terms of feeling motivated to go through your day. I really love what you're saying, Deepa, because it really leans into bioindividuality and we are all, all different. And it is, you said, how you feel when you wake up, do you feel rested? Because for one person, we do have, we, there is a, we have different needs for the amount of sleep. But what you're saying when you go to bed at 10, it's really when it's dark. So that would be across the globe, more or less 10 o'clock is the time to go to bed. How would that be like this time of the year in the Northern countries where it's light? My husband and I went to Russia a few years ago and you know, it's, it was light for such a long, you know, the majority of the day. How do you speak into people who live in those climates at this time of the year when it's light for such a large portion of the day and night? I think if they are getting overall more light than they are getting darkness, then it is still important that they have a cutoff for themselves and probably block out, black out their room and see that they create the conducive environment where they're still able to experience that what darkness does to the body. And it's important to establish regularity. So even though you mentioned that it's light for so much longer in a specific area of the world, it's important to create regularity. So let's say it's 11 p.m. or midnight for somebody and maybe it's mid 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. But they still need to try and bring in that regularity on every day of the week and not shift this too drastically on weekdays and weekends because I see a lot of people struggling with sleep, energy, mood through the week simply because they're shifting this rhythm so dramatically on the weekend and therefore when they come back to it on the weekday, it jars their system. 
Yeah, the body loves regularity and rhythm. It responds really well when it knows what to expect. And that to me brings me into heart rate variability and how healthy heart rate variability is rhythmic. And that's because really the body loves the rhythm. It likes to know what to expect. And so I guess it would be the same for sleep. What happens chemically when it starts to get dark? The brain has certain things programmed for itself. So uh, light and melatonin share an antagonistic relationship. So when it starts to get dark, it's when your brain secretes melatonin and lowers cortisol. And that allows you to then get sleep drive or the ability to fall asleep. And then there's so many other aspects to it as well, because one of the things that I see a lot of people struggling with sleep going through is that they have their vitamin D at dinner and vitamin D has an antagonistic relationship with melatonin. So if you take vitamin D in the night, you've stopped secretion of melatonin for the next 12 hours. Uh, So sleep can be deeply impacted. And we're all dependent on vitamin D today that this timing of vitamin D becomes so critical to melatonin release. One of the things that is very popular today is blue light blocking glasses, which are aimed at cutting off uh, light from your screen. And the belief is that your brain can't identify the difference between natural light and the light from your screen. So when you hit your retina with this light, your brain starts to release cortisol thinking that it's morning, preparing you to wake up. But do you know, there's someone I interviewed on the podcast who's a professor who's researching into blue light being a myth that actually there's no such thing that if you expose your light eyes to blue light in the night that sleep is affected, that it's just fueling an entire sleep industry. If you think of Eastern world and maybe India many, many years ago, before the invention of electricity here or the availability, we would have candles. And I remember this even in my own childhood that we just have dinner and then you start to feel sleepy pretty soon. And it's only after we started having access to lights that this started stretching, the bedtime started stretching. We would typically wake up as you hear the um, birds chirping and as you start to see the sun rising, you'd wake up naturally and all that has shifted to be. Yeah, this is really true. It's an interesting um, challenge between like living in a, where you live, how where you live can really impact your sleep based on your access to light in the city. But there's so many disturbances you may not hear the birds, you may not hear those natural sounds that come from nature when you're in a big city and you're in a big high rise where the windows are closed because those are natural, those sounds, not just the light, but also the sounds that come from nature as the day begins to wake up are also really nice indicators to the body that it's time to be awake. Is there anything else that you recognize as as an important to a conducive environment for sleeping? One of the things I notice 
as a general rule is that there's a lot of focus of course on light and getting your body adapted to the right circadian rhythm but there's not that much emphasis on uh, foods that make you lose sleep foods that help you to sleep better what's happening in the physiology of the body what's the metabolic chaos that's going on in someone which is preventing them from falling asleep and we talk everywhere about how poor sleep impacts your ability to recover and heal but rarely do we speak about what are the root causes of poor sleep themselves uh, so that's the area that my work is focused on on teasing apart these root causes of poor sleep in each person so do you mind speaking into some of the root causes of poor sleep sure. that you've discovered? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, there's another controversial area, Dana, that um, recently there's been a lot of popularity over the sleep chronotypes and there's been a lot of social media coverage on how we are all not meant to have the same uh, chronobiology or circadian rhythm. Some of us are meant to be the night owls and it's natural to, for us to want to sleep at midnight. Some of us are meant to wake up very early. Mm. I've been very skeptical about this concept of sleep chronotypes. I really don't think that, yes, I do believe that there's a small percentage of us where our genetics may predispose us towards being this night owl or someone who sleeps very late. But personally, send me a night owl and I would love to look at the adrenal function and look at all what's going on that's triggering them to be that night owl. But apart from that, I do believe circadian rhythm is very important. That is a big root cause when someone has dysfunctional circadian rhythm and Ayurveda puts so much emphasis on being in sync with light and dark of nature. When we say light and dark, we're not talking about artificial lights. Mm -hmm. And then for sure, adrenal function, because that was what was a big reason why I didn't fall asleep. So if someone has experienced trauma, any kind of a bad relationship, anything which puts them into a fight or flight, let's say they're taking care of a loved one who's very ill, Anything that's keeping them uh, buzzing and needing to be alert all the time, that's a big root cause of poor sleep. And for sure, if you're in any situation in life which is raising cortisol, so of course, this mentioned adrenal function, but when you have any situation that's raising cortisol, then there's a likelihood that you're not releasing oxytocin or not as mild. That is a calming down hormone which does help with sleep. Uh, for sure, your diet, if there's an inflammatory diet that it's triggering blood sugar fluctuations, then no one's going to fall asleep or they're going to fall asleep and wake up at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. and then struggle to go back to sleep. Uh, if there are certain genetic methylation issues, uh, I think the COMT gene does trigger a lot of sleep issues. If someone's in, uh, not able to metabolize catecholamines, 
And of course, as women, if there's chaos happening with estrogen, progesterone balance, or if there's low testosterone, which is causing you to have a leaky bladder, uh, leaky bladder is something that keeps women up all the time. And any kind of pain, Dana, whether it's pain in your shoulder, pain in the legs, like restless leg syndrome, that itchy feeling in the leg, which is a big reason why people don't sleep. Temperature fluctuations where you're either feeling too hot, too cold, this temperature has to be exact right for you to be able to fall asleep, thyroid issues, hot mm -hmm. flashes. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Really, there's so much. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that if someone is having a sleep disturbance, it's really important to not try to treat the sleep, but to try to determine why, what is the root cause of the sleep and then treat those root causes. Yes. You've said so many interesting things about sleep and really helping us to understand the importance of looking at what are the root causes of sleep. I'm just curious because you've spoken to so many amazing guests on your podcast. What are some of the highlights? What are some of the interviews that really stand out that gave you maybe an aha moment? I think, I mean, really, Dana, there have been so many excellent guests and they've I think the main thing is that they've come from such diverse backgrounds. So they're not all from the sleep world or they're functional practitioners, Ayurveds, yoga teachers, so many of them. But one thing I noticed, which is very common in what a lot of people say is that stress is such a big deal and it's very important and they've all offered their own tools as to how to better help your body cope with stress, how to make yourself more resilient. And that can include breath work, a slow practice of yoga. And that's very key as well, because I see a lot of people who do intense yoga practices like an Ashtanga class in the evening, and then they struggle to wind down because energy can also be overactive after that. What everyone did have in common was timing is important for almost everything in terms of when do you exercise, when do you go to sleep, how do you eat your food. Uh, and light, of course, is a very big deal and how much and we are living in a virtual world now and things are going to remain remote. So all the more we're going to be exposing ourselves to light and on our screen. So what can we do to offset that, which is why I'm cautious about research, which debunks the blue light myth and says it doesn't impact because Truly, I think we should be doing all that we can possibly to protect ourselves. And I know for a fact that whether there's research uh, that validates a blue light blocker or not, I do feel a difference when I use it in the night and it does help to not mess up my sleep. Mm -hmm. So there's no harm. And these are tools mm -hmm. that are not going to harm you for mm -hmm. sure. So it's probably good to use some of that input and uh, do pay attention to blood sugar. And I think that one thing which I keep telling everywhere is that breakfast, your sleep plate begins at breakfast. So what you eat at breakfast decides how you're going to sleep that night. And people struggling with sleep issues 
really don't do well with any amount of starch or sugar in the first meal of the day because then they're creating this chaos right through the day. You just gave us a little clinical pearl about the carbs in the morning for someone who's having sleep struggle. So could you give us some pearls when it comes to nutrition and sleep? Yes, absolutely. So Dana, I think if you have a vague framework as to what helps sleep, uh, the sleep plates at all three meals, what works really well at breakfast is something like a keto style meal, which is quite high in fat and moderate in protein and very low in or almost nil in sugar. So my breakfast every day is just a cuppa with uh, coconut milk, cashew butter, chicory powder, and a little bit of stevia and collagen. So that's my morning breakfast every single day, which is really very, very stabilizing to blood sugar all day long. And then I think lunch is something, whether it's plant-based or um, omnivore, that doesn't matter, but something which is like a plant-powered high fiber salad or a soup. So usually a large bowl, which has about four to five different non-starchy vegetables, some nuts and seeds, and then ending at night with a little bit of healthy carbohydrate like sweet potato alongside great protein and vegetables. Not so high in fat, but making sure it's got a lot of fiber from non-starchy vegetables, ample protein so that you're able to actually keep blood sugar stable through the night and having a little bit of complex carbohydrate from sweet potato or brown, a little bit of brown rice so that you actually get some tryptophan to convert to serotonin and convert to melatonin. So that's actually my sleep framework for eating. I really like that. And even all of the training I've had with nutrition, I had never heard this bit about low carb in the morning you know, more of a yeah. starting the day with more of a keto. I'd love that recipe. It sounds very comforting. Yes. You know, there is one more thing that I think is really important to address and you touch on it when you talk about um, sugar, but talk, talk to us about what the role alcohol plays in sleep, because this is something I had to confront personally. Yes. Yes. And there is a lot of misconception around alcohol and um, one of the things that I commonly hear, Dana, from people who are struggling to fit the pieces back of their poor sleep is friends dissuading that challenges and telling them to just drink a glass of wine and then take a sleeping pill alongside and uh, making remarks like I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm still alive and this can be very, very dangerous. So the first thing that I would bring caution to is even if someone wants to have alcohol is never to combine it with sleeping pills. That's really dangerous. So please don't do that if you're out there. Uh, and if at all you really cannot give up your glass of wine a few times a week, then making sure that you have a little bit after you've eaten your dinner, never on an empty stomach. 
the sugars just go and hit your bloodstream and wreak havoc the whole night. And remember that every glass of alcohol that you drink is going to increase dehydration. So you're going to feel more energy loss in the night, the inability, you're going to feel your body's going to slip into a mode of emergency where it's going to wake you up, seeking out food or fluids. So it's definitely going to be a big no-no. And if you're really keen to piece back poor sleep and looking towards improving sleep quality and you're willing to do whatever it takes, I would say, ease out the alcohol and keep it out for about six months until you've done other work and brought your body back to a state of balance. Well, I think that's wonderful advice because I know for me, what was happening when I was having this health crisis, I only would have alcohol maybe once, maximum twice a week, but I would wake up in the middle of the night and I was Mm. really thirsty and I couldn't get back to sleep. And I've just, through tracking, I've noticed that that's what alcohol will do to me. It'll wake me up in the middle of the night. Well, Deepa, this has just been such um, an interesting conversation with you. And as you know, my platform is really about feeling younger while growing older. And how do you see sleep as one of the components to healthy aging and longevity? I think sleep is everything because it's only in deep sleep that you're releasing growth hormone, which is really what is making you uh, regenerate and feel younger, look younger. And um, it's in that deep sleep where, I mean, if you have about 40% of your whole night's sleep as deep sleep, that's the time where your body is going through this deep tissue repair, immune function, Uh, just rehauling the whole system. So, I mean, who doesn't look amazing after a great night's sleep? You just wake up with radiant skin Mm. and feeling so alive. So uh, I think sleep is definitely a big part of longevity and it should not be ignored. And if someone wants to be motivated, then yes, it's going to give you better skin. It's going to make you look much more amazing than you already are. A big high five to that. I agree 100%. When I'm getting sleep, I just feel younger. I feel better. I feel more hopeful. I feel like I'm more radiant. And again, when I had my, my storm of health crises, I just was tired and I felt older. I was losing my hair. Just sleep is protective. I really believe that sleep is something that's very protective to our full body system, body, mind, spirit. You know, in Dana, in Ayurveda, longevity is linked to the lymphatic system. Lymph is called rasa. Uh, And the lymph system that is very... uh, robust and circulating, you can see the difference on how somebody looks versus where there's lymphatic congestion. So for sure that uh, if you can't, if you don't have good sleep, you can't even exercise which moves lymph and it's a vicious cycle. If you Mm -hmm. can't exercise, then subsequently sleep gets messed up. So there's so many interconnections and Mm -hmm. sleep is definitely in the middle of all of this. 
Yes, it is. I love that. Sleep is in the middle of all of this. It's in the middle of all of this. I really love that, Deepa. So Deepa, to you personally, what does feeling younger, when I say feeling younger while growing older, what does that mean to you personally? I think, Dana, just becoming comfortable with who you are, not being guided by anyone who's uh, made you feel uncomfortable with yourself. And we all go through, we have our challenging relationships where we feel we are inadequate, we feel we are not enough, we feel we'll never be enough. And I think if you reach that stage where you just feel you're great as you are, how you look, how your hair is, how you, this color of your skin, the height, I mean, you're just comfortable with your personality, you know who you truly are. Um, and you reach that point, then life looks like, I mean, you're just so youthful and it doesn't, I truly feel I've never felt younger as I do right now at this moment. I love that, Deepa. Yes, I love that. Because it's not how, it's not external. It's not how we look externally. It's really how we feel internally. And so... That is a beautiful note to close on. I want to thank you for your sharing your pearls of wisdom with us. And I also want to congratulate you on your upcoming book, Sleep Whisperer. We all will look very much forward to buying your book and just having that in our library. So thank you, Deepa. Thank you, Dana. It was humbling to be here and I loved our conversation as always. It is always a pleasure to have a conversation with you, Deepa. So everyone streaming love from my heart to yours. Have a wonderful day wherever this podcast finds you. Thank you for joining me on the Vitally You podcast. If you like it, please spread the love with a review and share it with your friends. As a thank you for the first three months of my podcast, one reviewer each month will be selected to win a sleeve of LifeWave X39 stem cell activation patches. LifeWave's X39 patch is the only product on the market that resets the body's own stem cells so they behave like younger, healthier cells without injections, chemicals, or pharmaceuticals. Experience the power of the patch on your journey of feeling younger while growing older. To be entered to win, leave a review screenshot your review and send it to Dana at DanaFrost.com or pop it into a direct message on Instagram at DanaFrost Vitally Free. Don't miss a Vitally You episode drop. Sign up for my newsletter on my website or Instagram link tree. Until next time, streaming love from my heart to yours.